I'm Hillary. And I'm Sandra. Coming up on the podcast, we are going to talk to someone with a very fancy title. She's a director of relationship science at Hinge, and she's going to talk to us about a world of in real life dating again, if that's even possible. I didn't even know that that was a title someone could possess. Director of relationship science. This is going to get interesting. The Quick and the Dirty Podcast with Hillary Welch and Sandra Plagakis. Uh, you know how I'm single and I'm ready to mingle? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and you know how I've talked about how I don't like it when dudes slide into my DMs? Okay. Well, a lady has now slid into my DMs and she wants to know if I am ready to play for the other team. And so how did that <laughs> compare? Like, was were you totally okay with that? Uh, yeah. You know, it's funny. I, when I, when a dude slides into my DMs, I just find that incredibly creepy, even though all my single friends tell me that is, um, that's the new norm now. You know what I mean? That's like everybody does. I didn't realize that it was sort of like what everybody did. I didn't know that it was so socially acceptable because I'm still kind of old school and I find it weird. And you just kind of Um, assume it's somebody from another country trying to, you know, scam me. Yeah. That's right. You're trying to catfish me or steal my money or just do something really bad to me. (laughs) That's what I think. Uh, But uh, when a woman does it, first of all, it's not threatening. I just don't feel threatened by it at all. So uh, this woman had seen a TikTok video that I put up and it's, it was about me having a midlife crisis and one of the (laughs) moments in it, right? Am I not? I bought a Jeep, I bought a motorcycle and I chucked the the wedding ring, you know? (laughs) So she slid into my DMs and she asked me and I have to say it, it was like the most flattering thing in the world. Does she have a girl crush on you? Yes, she told me she totally she's totally crushing on me and she just wanted to double check to see if I, you know, was playing for the other team, what the story was. And it's true, you know, like I my marriage broke up. We were together for 27 years. Like who's to say that maybe I didn't have a moment of self-discovery that she didn't know about. She was just checking. You know? But it's the way that it sounds like she did it that was super flattering and not creepy at all. Because there's a difference oh. between sliding into someone's DMs and like starting a whatever conversation or being, hey, I just wanted to check instead of, hey, baby, I want to take you out and do naughty things to you. <laughs> yeah, no, it totally wasn't like that. Now we follow each other on Instagram and like each other's pictures. Aww. Like, <laughs> It's happening. Uh, and I, honestly, it was the best part of my week and it just made me feel so good. And uh, I don't know that a guy sliding into my DMs doing that would have made me feel good at all. So it was awesome. I think it's because when a woman thinks you're attractive, we trust other women's opinions and we don't trust men. <laughs> I know. Because <laughs> right? when we dress up to go out, more often than not, it's because we want to impress our friends, not the guys there. I mean, they're easy to impress. Oh, it doesn't take much to oppress a man. But I, <laughs> I remember years ago, I was at um, the Pride Parade in Ottawa and I found myself sitting at a table of lesbians. And uh, we had like the best afternoon. We got a little day drunk and we started chatting. And uh, one of them told me that she would totally do me. <laughs> and the other, because I was laughing about it. And then the others chimed in and they all were like that I was very doable. So I remember going, that was another highlight, by the way, for me. It was a total highlight for me. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Take me to a clam bake. I am so glad that you feel good and that it turned out to be the beginning of an amazing friendship. That's awesome. 
I, I think so too. Yeah. Do you, by the way, has anyone, when was the last time a lady slid into your DMs? I would say that you are highly, highly uh, fuckable. <laughs> no one sl- slid into my DMs because I've got my partner's stuff plastered all over my social media. So it's pretty obvious I'm not available. But maybe if I were when, single. Please. When has that stopped anybody? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, Logan Yuri, to the podcast. We're really excited to have you on today. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. You know, when I first read your job title, I thought, wow, that is a sick job title. But I never thought of relationships as a science. But when you think of online dating, there's a lot of science that goes into matching the peop- the right people with each other, isn't there? Oh, yeah. No, this is a great place to start our conversation. So love is very natural. Love is organic. Love is something that you're born knowing how to do. But dating is not. Dating is a different category. It's a skill. And dating is something where you might have bad habits, you might have good habits, you might need somebody to teach you how to do it better. And so Hinge, it's not just about the matchmaking and the algorithm, it's that specifically from knowing how to present yourself to knowing what to say on a first date to knowing how to follow up. All of those are skills that people are not born knowing how to do and that they can get better at. I feel like there's two types of people in this world, those that are really good at dating and those that are really good at relationships. (laughs) And the two may not intersect. Oh, that's so funny. I'm going to think about that more. I thought you were going to say there's two types of people in this world. Those who divide people into groups of two and those who don't. (laughs) (laughs) No, I just mean that, like, I can remember, uh, I am only now in my long-term relationship. Like, I was uh, in my late 30s before I met the guy that I consider to be my one. But I have done a lot of dating in my life, some of that online dating, and I was always really good at the chase, but not so great at the follow-through. And I feel like that that can happen sometimes. Yeah, actually, the more I'm thinking about it, I do know what you're talking about. And so I've been doing private dating coaching for a long time. And there are people I can, you know, think of them in my mind right now where they're so good at dating. They're so good at the first initial part of dating, right? They are romantic. They love to pursue someone. They love to design romantic dates. They love the first kiss. That's very strong for them. But when it comes to getting into a relationship or, actually, you know, figuring out month three, month five, month six, you know, year three, they they just don't have that experience. They're, they really have the experience in the beginning. And so maybe I'll rephrase it from some people are good at dating and some people are good at relationships to some people are good at the very early parts of dating, but they just don't have much experience beyond that initial kind of getting together. Basically what, where the rom-com would end once they're together, they don't know what to do after that. <laughs> so that's more like a catch and release kind of a thing. Yeah, I mean, some people just love that initial high, that initial energy of, of falling in love, but it's it's genuinely a different thing than from being in love. You know what you'd like describing to me, why people have affairs is because they want those butterflies. Again, I've always said, I've said it a million times, if I could figure out a way to bottle the butterflies I had at the start of my marriage, which has since ended, but at the start of it, I would pay a uh, a lot of money to find that feeling again. So some people, I guess, are just, they just love that feeling and they're, they're like chasing the dragon all day long. Yeah. There's a phrase called NRE new relationship energy, which is all of that excitement. And I definitely have clients where I'm like, you love NRE. And so we have to help you find that not in a dating context. And this was before COVID, but 
you know, can you go to a networking event? Um, what can you do to meet different people? How can you basically have that in your life as friendship? So you're still getting that excitement of meeting someone and getting to know them, but it's not in a romantic context. Well, you, in your book, you talk about those butterflies and that excitement and how it's not always what we think it is. It might be actually anxiety driven. Oh yeah. That is a great direction to take this. And yeah, that's really how I feel. And so a lot of times people say, oh, I'm so interested in this person. You know, when we met, we had this instant spark and I felt that immediate chemistry and I had butterflies. But when we actually look at the research into romantic relationships and specifically something called attachment theory, we can see that what's maybe happening for that person is that they have an anxious attachment style. They have a vision of love where love is about being afraid that somebody's going to abandon you and that you're constantly asking them for reassurance that they're going to stay. And so they pull away and you pursue them. And so what's really going on for you is that you're confusing anxiety, this sense of do they like me or not for chemistry or butterflies. And that actually, if you're able to reframe it in your mind from this is a good thing to this is a bad thing, you'll realize that the kind of person you want to be with may not give you that exact same feeling of butterflies, but they're the kind of person that's going to build a long-term relationship with you. Uh, I am newly single, Logan, and the thought of putting myself out there and, and hearing all of these stories is legitimately terrifying because it, you know, call me old school, but I believe in animal attraction. I believe in chemistry. Um, when online dating to me feels like an, a, a numbers game and it feels like people are really disposable and that everybody's sort of playing a game to catch somebody. Do you know what I mean? Like, how do I, how do I change my mindset? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff wrapped up in what you just said. And so the first thing I would say is what's going on for you when you're thinking about getting back out there and how much of it is this thing that at Hinge we're calling FOTA, fear of dating again, where it's not just I was in a relationship and now I'm single. It's also, wow, there's this pandemic has been on, going on for over a year. We have let our social skills atrophy. We have a lot of concerns about getting back out there. And so I'm curious for you how much of what you're feeling sounds like what I just, 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 just described that oh, photo. That fear that's a great question. Again. That's a great, honestly, um, I enjoy being single. I like, I like not being attached to another person. So if I was going to date, I would be dating people one night at a time. <laughs> if you're catching my drift, <laughs> I'd be very, very brief dates, brief. <laughs> I like if, if I know that that's what, what Tinder is for. But that's a, at the same time you want to surround yourself with good people and people that you can trust, and maybe you can build off of that. I mean, I wish there was like I wish I could have um on Hinge. Is there a friend with benefits section? So we do get this request sometimes people say what that they want to say what they're looking for as a feature, but we consistently survey people and we found that over 75% of Hinge users are looking for a relationship and we just reran that survey a few weeks ago. Oh, wow. And so Hinge really is the relationship app. It's really where you go and you're like, okay, I know who I am. I know what I want. I want to find something more serious. And so I think that that's kind of a relief to people because you're not like, how do I pick among these many, many people to see who actually wants a relationship? You can feel more assured that, okay, if they're on Hinge and they went through this more intensive sign up process where 
as a side note, 25% of people that start signing up for Hinge actually don't finish because they're like, this is too much work. And that's, that's on purpose. We want people who actually are willing to put in the work to make a profile and then to be in a relationship. That makes sense, but it doesn't mean that you don't have those uh, little experiences along the way. Because, like, I think it takes some time to get to know if you have what it takes with somebody to move it to the next level. And sometimes it is more than just, you know, aligning your political views and your views on life. Like, they're really, what is that unspoken thing? And do you believe it actually exists? Yeah, this is an interesting question that gets at a lot of deep things. And so, you know, there's a lot of people who you could have a love story with, who you could have a fling, who you could have a really fun month, who you could go on a trip and have an amazing time. I think there's fewer with people with whom you can have a life story where you can go through the good and bad and you can stick by them and you can really build a life together. And so it depends what you're looking for. And if somebody's just looking for that love story or that fling, that's absolutely fine. And that's what's right for them right now. Maybe they just got out of a long relationship or they're going through a breakup. I, you know, it's not my job to tell people what to look for, but it's really that hinges there when you're ready to be a little bit more intentional about love. How has um pandemic dating changed than regular dating? I mean, I understand that most dates are happening happening virtually now and very few people are actually physically getting together or uh, they are in a socially distanced way or what? I mean, I'm assuming I anyway. I think it's as responsible um, as you might think. <laughs> well, yeah, this is what I'm implying. Like, you, I don't know how bad. I'm sure that there's lots of people out there breaking the rules uh, in the name of just needing to get out there and meet people. Um, but... Uh, there has been a tremendous spike in online dating over the last year, I'm assuming at Hinge. Yeah, it's so interesting because I've been doing this work in the dating and relationship space. I've been doing this work in the dating and relationship space for a long time. Um, and when I joined Hinge in March of 2020, basically my first week was the first week that the pandemic really exploded <laughs> wow. in New York. And so the whole time that I've been doing research there, we've been paying a lot of attention to pandemic dating, which I actually think is kind of an advantage because I can really look at the changes that have happened. And so one thing, as you mentioned, is that there was this explosion in interest in Hinge. Uh, people right away in March were sending more messages. They were messaging more people. They were sending more messages per person. I think people very quickly realized, okay, this is this is going to be a long and lonely, whatever they thought it might be at the time, month. Obviously, it became much longer than that. And so people were sitting on their couch and they were going on the app and they were trying to connect with people. And that was something we saw throughout the pandemic was that because you weren't getting those social interactions at work, because you weren't meeting a girl at your cousin's wedding, whatever it is, people were turning to dating apps to continue looking for love. And they were being very creative about the ways that they could do it, including a huge rise in video dating. I think, too, the title of your book really speaks to the times that we live in because the pandemic introduced the idea that I would imagine maybe most of Hinge's demographic hasn't really dealt with yet. And that is the idea of the fact that we're mortal and that 
life is fleeting. And if you want to live this beautiful life and have someone by your side in the, in the good times and the tough times that you've really got to put the work in. So like that title of how to not die alone really speaks to that. Thank you. Yeah. I feel like you really nailed what I was trying to get at. Sometimes people think that the title is really dark or that I'm saying everyone has to find someone. And no, it's saying if you are on a path towards being single and you don't want to be on that path, here are some tangible, practical steps that you can take in order to be on a different path. But it's not saying that everyone needs to be in a relationship or that dying alone is necessarily the worst thing. It's really supposed to be a moment. This is what I imagined when I titled it. You're in the airport, remember airports, (laughs) and you are in the airport bookstore and you see this book and it says how to not die alone and that you actually stop in your tracks and you say, what's going on with me? Do I like the patterns I have? And if not, how do I change them? And I I do feel like it's been able to stand out and it has that shock value. And then the secondary thing that we're seeing at Hinge, which is exactly what you just said so articulately, is that the pandemic forced us to consider not just our mortality, but our priorities. And this is the latest research that we just conducted over the last few weeks. We found out that For a lot of people, they're now prioritizing dating over their career and their family and friends because they realize that they really want to find someone and they are willing to put in the time and effort and resources required to make that happen. Yeah. And I, and the pandemic also uh, could be in theory to blame or at least was the catalyst for many couples who've been married a long time to call it a day and say, I'm not in these I'm not in a great relationship and I'd like to pivot and get into a really good relationship. We've all spent a lot of time examining our personal lives over the last 14 months. For sure. And I think also the value of the family yeah. unit yeah. has skyrocketed because that that's the only group of people we've had access to over the last, you know, 18 months. And so if you're not in a family unit, I think there's like a bigger drive to not necessarily have children, but to create a space and to create that unit of people that, you know, you can rely on. And for some people that starts with like a really great relationship. Yeah, I think that's absolutely what we're seeing. And so look, I'm a career oriented person. I love my job. I care about my work, but if the pandemic showed us anything, it's that, Our job doesn't keep us warm at night. Our job doesn't check in necessarily to see how we're feeling and that what we really are craving is community, connection, interpersonal relationships. And so exactly how you just said it, the family unit or the people who are closest to us in our lives, when everything else was stripped away, we saw that that is more important than anything else. And so what you're seeing in the research we've done at Hinge is that is really coming to life for people. And they're willing to say, no, I'm not going to stay at the office until 10 p.m. Because if I do that every night, then I'm going to be doing the same thing in 10 years. And I'm actually going to prioritize dating and maybe those uncomfortable first dates that don't turn into second dates, whatever it is, because you need to put in that type of upfront effort to find someone. Right. And, you know, here in Ontario anyway, I'm, I, I know it's a different situation where you are in the States, but here in Ontario anyway, we're, we're still in a lockdown situation and we will not be out of it for another, I think it's two weeks or so, three, but soon. 
But the point is this. Once we get to a point of in, in like real life dating, in real life, IRL, right? Is what they call it. Sorry. I actually had to Google it to figure out what IRL meant. True story. Um, <laughs> once we get to that point, um, what's it going to look like? Is there going to be a shift in the way we, we date and the way we um, relate to other people? Because I feel like I know a lot of people who have been online dating Logan, and they just love to sit on their couch and online date and scroll and have those lazy relationships. Do you think that things are going to shift again? Yeah. So we, you know, Hinge is very international and we have users around the world who are in different regions. So for example, our users in Australia have not really been experiencing the pandemic the same way we have in the U.S. or people have in Canada. And so we are paying attention to regional differences. But the last research report that we did, which looked at a lot of daters thinking about dating after the pandemic, what we've heard from them is they are ready for a relationship renaissance. 75% of them, as I mentioned, say that they want to be in a relationship, that they want to go on in-person dates, that they want to be more honest about who they are and what they're looking for, and that there's been these reports of what they're calling the shot girl summer or the hot vac summer, sort of predicting yeah. a lot of casual flings of people who just miss physical touch. Right. Oh, Logan, not to interrupt you. looking for that. Not to interrupt you, oh, but please, uh, I was listening to Dan Savage the other day. I love his podcast so much, and he's actually calling it the Whoring 20s. <laughs> <laughs> and so Instead of the Roaring 20s. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's yeah. right. I'm a huge Dan Savage. I was like, that's exactly Amazing. right, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he's so good, and he's so good with those terms. But yeah, so... I mean, you're, you're hearing it from Dan Savage. We're hearing, we're seeing it in a lot of headlines, but at Hinge, and I can speak to the Hinge population specifically, which is not every single person, you know, it's not everyone who's single. It's people who are single and on Hinge, but that's not what they're saying. They're not saying, yes, bring on the fling. Some people are saying that around 15% of people are saying that, but the majority of them are like, look, I didn't like being alone on my couch watching Netflix. I didn't like going to the grocery store, wearing a mask, being afraid by myself. I want to find someone. And so when we're talking about what the coming months will look like in a vaccinated world, and that will come at different times for different regions, we at Hinge really think that people are ready to kind of put in that work to find someone and that the whoring 20s is going to happen, but for a smaller group that's being predicted. So in your book, you talk a lot about the three relationship tendencies. What do you think are the biggest roadblocks for people when it comes to finding someone to date online? Yeah, so I should say that this is research that I did before Hinge, and you know the book sort of represents my work before Hinge. Um, and this is a framework that I came up with called the three dating tendencies. And this isn't just issues with online dating. It's really how you date, how you show up, how you think about dating. And what happened was I was seeing all these dating coaching clients. They were really different. They would not have related to each other on a lot of levels. But I was like, wow, so many of you are suffering from the same three dating blind spots, these things that you couldn't identify by yourself or get, but are getting in your way. And each of them suffers from unrealistic expectations. And the first one is the romanticizer. They have unrealistic expectations of relationships. They love love. They love the meet cute. They love those early stages, but they're not actually excited about or willing to put in the effort 
when things get hard because they think, oh, if this were my soulmate, it would be effortless. This must be the wrong person. And the second one is the romantic. Oh, sorry. The second one is the maximizer. And this is the person who has unrealistic expectations of their partner. And they think, well, my girlfriend's great, but could I be 5% happier with somebody else? Or could she be 10% more ambitious or 8% more interesting? And I know it sounds silly, but I really hear people like this. They're always wondering what else is out there, and it makes it hard for them to commit. That's a huge symptom of online dating, always looking for, because it's like scrolling through a catalog. Yeah, I really think that our culture in general is creating maximizers, because think about this, right? When people are buying a toothbrush, they don't necessarily just go to the drugstore and buy a toothbrush. And and I don't know if you relate to this, but they might look online and say, what's the best toothbrush or what's the best mattress? And everything is research and analysis. And there's this false sense that we can just research our way to the best answer. And sometimes you just have to take a leap of faith. You can't say I've dated everyone in the world and this is the best person for me. You're saying this person's great and I'm going to build a relationship with them. It's not about researching and finding the best possible specimen on earth. Uh, I was just going to say that people who maybe are maximizers, which is sounding like it's more and more people, are probably been people who've been... uh, who are experienced at at love and have lost a lot. So I feel like they're, they're most jaded, if that makes sense. That's interesting. Who do I think is the most jaded? Long people, women, women in their forties, women in their forties who have just ended long-term marriages. I'm just saying. <laughs> Say more about that. But you think it's the hesitator, which is your third type? I don't know. I mean, I, let's talk about it. I haven't thought about it in that question, but I'm just seeing so many hesitators right now who are thinking, I'm just not good enough. I'll be ready to date when the pandemic's over. I'll be ready to date when I lose 10 pounds. And I feel like there's a lot of sadness wrapped up in that one because it feels like it's an emphasis on conditional love. And when will I be lovable? And that's when I want to that's when I'll put myself out there as opposed to I'm great now and I just have to find the person. And so the maximizer, I actually think is fairly self-confident because they're not saying, am I good enough for other people? They're saying, who's good enough for me? Right. I think there's also a section of the population there that is like, I need this perfect person to make me look good and fulfilled. Like, I feel yeah. like that would fall into that, that line as well. Yeah, I agree. But the maximizer, like I said before, I feel like is also treating people some treating people like they're disposable. And I, and again, I'm not here to criticize Hinge or any other online dating platforms, but I just feel like online dating is a, a slippery slope in many ways because people are so disposable because you can just swipe swipe on someone never to be seen and heard from again. Or if you are dating someone, you start treating them the same way that you treated them when you were swiping. You know what I mean? You're, you're always looking for something better. That I find that to be such a dangerous place to be. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you say that because it brings to mind a phenomenon that I observed during the pandemic, which is that it became a lot harder to meet people and that made us value each person more. And so I have a friend who... Super great guy, eligible bachelor, would be a wonderful husband and father, all of these things. And he was just perpetually single, and I would try to help him and set him up. And it just seemed like it wasn't really clicking. 
And then he would go on first date after first date, but nothing was really turning into a relationship. And then during the pandemic, he met this woman. And I feel like maybe if it weren't during the pandemic, he would have brushed her aside for certain flaws or certain things about her. But instead he was like, well, this is the person I'm talking to. And my quarantine pod is accepting her into the group. And he really just had a different mindset about investing in her. And then they adopted a puppy. Then they moved in together. <laughs> and now she's actually pregnant. And they are, they have a great relationship. And I think they're going to have a really good long-term future. And I'm very happy for them. And I feel like if it weren't for the pandemic, he wouldn't have been able to actually focus on and invest in her in the way that's required to actually turn that early dating into a relationship. Do you think people get kind of sidelined by their checklist of, of characteristics that they're looking for? Yeah, that's a big part of my book and a big part of my philosophy is that the older we get, the more we're stubborn and stuck in our ways. And trust me, I'm stubborn about a lot of things. And so there's this feeling of I've been around the block. I know what I like. I know what I don't like. It's not even a question of figuring out what I want. It's just finding that person. And so lots of times people come to me and like there's a guy I talk about in my book who says, I want a six foot four masculine businessman who is very successful and makes this amount of money. And I know what I want. I just need to find him. And actually in our work together, it was all about understanding that, no, that was just who he was. And he thought he was trying to find the identical personality to, to him. And what he actually wanted was somebody who made him laugh and somebody who was very kind and philanthropic and generous. And so I think for a lot of people, it's actually taking a slightly more humble approach and saying, okay, well, I've looked for this type for a while and it doesn't seem to be making me happy. Maybe let's go back to the drawing board and date some different types of people and see maybe this will work. And so for everyone, but I think especially people who feel like they know exactly what they want, I would encourage them to throw out the checklist or at least test their theories on the checklist. Oh my gosh. If I had a quarter for every woman I knew who was online dating, who talked about having her boxes checked... You know, they have to fix, they have to check this box, mm -hmm. this box. There's mm -hmm. so many rules and criteria. I I feel like it's um, they're they're people. You know what I mean? We're talking about people, and there's always a je ne sais quoi quality that you can't necessarily mm -hmm. describe. But you know, when you find when people are on hinge and they are matched with somebody, how do you? How does that work? I've always wondered. Like, how do you? Is what what are the criteria to match people? Yeah, so the Hinge algorithm is something I can speak to broadly, but it is actually really complicated, so I might not be the best person to explain it. But basically, it's all about who, you know, obviously who fits the criteria that you set. So if you set um, certain things around height or geography, we're going to show you people in those regions. You can set things as a deal breaker or not. If you don't set it as a deal breaker, we'll show you people of a broader type. Um, and then really when it comes down to it, it's who do we think is going to like you and who are you going to like back? And that's specifically our feature called most compatible. So every day you get one person that Hinge has identified as being the most compatible match for you. And that's based on this Nobel Prize winning algorithm, the Gale Shapley algorithm. And it's really about saying, okay, we have all of these people dating. Who are the two that we think she's going to say yes and she's going to say yes, or whatever the combination is. And so really helping people get to that date faster, as opposed to spending all that time looking for the person to date. 
Yeah, there's a lot of duds out there. <laughs> well, one thing I was going to say about the checklist is I can just imagine somebody listening, even the type of person you you were talking about saying, oh, okay, so she wants me to lower my expectations and settle and, you know, have no boundaries, have no standards. And no, it's actually not about that. It's not about lowering your expectations at all. It's about lowering your expectations on things that don't matter. And so height, yes, that's a preference. And maybe you like somebody of a certain height, but in the end, what's going to make you happy long-term and what's going to build a long-term relationship isn't going to be about height. Right. And when you're lying side by side, all the parts always line up perfectly, no matter what height you are. So it doesn't matter. (laughs) Or so I hear. (laughs) I like that a lot. Yeah. Finding Mr. Height. Exactly. I feel like there's so many things that are wrapped up in our own self-confidence that run into the that checklist. Like I feel like some of those maybe more superficial things are because you don't want to end up going out with what some other people might consider to be a loser or not. Like it depends what your preferences are. Like we're so concerned about how the people that we hang out with, the people we date, reflect on ourselves. Like how do you guide somebody to kind of work around that? Yeah, I'm really glad you're bringing the conversation in that direction. And you sort of mentioned this before about maybe the maximizers really focused on what it says about them if they have a certain person of a certain status or level of attractiveness. And I do think that's interesting. And I haven't researched this at Hinge necessarily, but what I've done in a dating coaching capacity, I'll tell you one story. So this guy was working with me and he talked about having met this girl and he told me about her and how intelligent she was and how much she loved movies. And they just seemed to have really, really similar values. And he went on a first date with her and he kissed her at the end of the night, which was a big thing for her. That was something he was really shy about. And I was like, great, I'm rooting for this. And then the second night they went out, they were in a bar. And by coincidence, his friends also came to the bar and they weren't near each other. But the whole time, all he could think about was his friends looking at her and thinking that she wasn't pretty enough and that she wouldn't fit in. And he was totally not present on the date. He was just thinking about what his friends in the bar must be thinking about her. And he kind of fumbled it and she noticed that he was less interested and it just sort of fizzled. And when he came to me, I just said, who are you dating for? Are you dating for yourself or are you dating for your friends? And he was like, I'm dating for myself. And I was like, this woman was a great fit for you. And she made you happy and she gave you confidence and you had your best first date in years. And then because you were in your head about what your friends would think, you really let yourself down. And so there was a lot of work that we had to do to help him understand that in the end, his friends are there to welcome her. And what my dad says, they're they're the reception committee, not the selection committee. So I think for people like that, it's about, you know, understanding (laughs) that he's the one in the relationship. And ultimately what his friends think doesn't matter that much. Uh, You're right. But at the same time, oh, man, friends are tough. (laughs) Friends are tough because, you know, the the older you get the harder we are as friends, not on each other, but, you know, like I love my lady friends hard. And if one of them, for example, years ago, my girlfriend was dating a guy and he was an absolute dud. 
And I mean, I, I can't say enough bad, not horrible things about him, but he just was so wrong for her. And he didn't bring out her shine at all. And she ended up staying with the guy and our friendship ended up kind of like dissipating uh, because of it. And because I opened my mouth and said, this is not the guy for you. And it's the most obvious thing that I've ever seen. You don't even look happy around him. You're with him because you just don't want to be alone. She didn't want to hear it. And uh, we ended up going our separate ways. But um, I don't know. She should have listened. Is all I'm saying. But I, I think like there's a distinct difference there in that when this guy was on a, a date with this girl, he was actually super happy and like living his best life where your friend was truly, like, at least from your perspective, settling. She was totally settling, but you're also saying that that guy was only on one date with that woman? Yeah, I mean, I think this goes to a good point, which is a lot of the stuff we're talking about, there's shades of gray, and it depends on the situation. And so in the sure. story I was telling, yes, it was one date, but he was the person who had a lot of anxiety around dating. It was really hard for him to make a move. It was hard for him to find someone who he could be himself with. And so after months of work, he made this progress. And so this first date was actually a victory and the woman seemed interested. And then he just let it fizzle because he imagined that his friends didn't think she was good looking enough, even though he'd never even talked to them about it. And in reality, when he did talk to his friends, they were like, we just want you to be happy. We're not, we don't have to date her. But the overall message that I would send around this is that, Sometimes our friends give us really good advice. And the question I like to have people ask their friends isn't, what did you think of him or what did you think of her? It's, what did you think of me around that person? Because your friends aren't expert in that stranger, but your friends are an expert in how you are. And so you say, did I seem relaxed? Did I seem like myself? Did I seem uptight? Did I seem nervous? Was I censoring myself? And so don't get your friends feedback on this person. They're not there to interview him or her get your friend's feedback on you. Yeah, how you act around another person in front of your friends says a lot, doesn't it? Yeah, I really think so. And I think our friends are just so good at noticing. Like, I I feel like I heard just socially people say like, oh, so-and-so's new boyfriend, like she seems like a different person around him. So I have a question for you, uh, and it's related to your book and your work at Hinge. How do you get the relationship offline and in real life? Because we're going to start seeing those transitions happen. What is your best advice to make that transition smoothly? Yeah, so my advice is to get to the date as soon as possible. And so not to rush it, but really so many people do what I call pen palling. They meet someone online and they text back and forth endlessly and they're talking about their whole day and everything that happened. And it's really a bad recipe because you end up building a fantasy in your head of what this person's like. And so even if that date is a phone call or a video date, whatever is safe and comfortable for you right now, just get off texting, get off the app and actually hear that person's voice See how they are in conversation. And so the first big step is moving to the date. And then from the date seeing, is this the type of person who I'm curious about and want to learn more about? I can't tell you how many, like when I was dating, how many online dates you'd invest in all these chats and put off getting together because life is busy and things get in the way. And then you're like so excited about this person and you meet them and they are a total dud. And what a waste of time that 
like you spend so much time getting back to people and texting. Right. It's really all about that meet. Hillary, um, some people present way better on text than they do in person. And that's the tricky part, I think, with online dating. You get in this little bubble of texting people and so on. And then when you meet them, it's like, oh, you suck. <laughs> It's so true. Some people can be really funny on, uh, through text because they have a moment to think or, you know, they can look something up or sound more intelligent and they just can't maintain that in-person conversation. And I know for you and I, Sandra, conversation is such a, an important part of, of who you are. Uh, now, Logan, how would you suggest someone goes about making sure that they are presenting themselves most authentically online? Like, how do you make sure you're being authentic? Because, of course, you're going to try and portray yourself in the best light you possibly can. It's human right. nature. And, like, having a profile picture that's 20 years old, also probably not the way to go, I imagine. Yeah, well, I mean, I think even <laughs> the word you just used is the perfect way to start. You didn't say, how should you present yourself online to get the most dates? You said, how should you present yourself online most accurately? And so that's really where I would start. You want to represent yourself in a way that's, accurate but flattering and so yes that 20 year old photo that's just not a good idea because you don't want to show up on the date and have the person's first reaction of you be oh you don't look like your pictures or um be disappointed it's like starting in a deficit to, it's yeah. impossible yeah. to recover from yeah. <laughs> yeah no absolutely i mean this is uh so before my husband and i we're dating or married we were friends and we would talk about our online dating escapades and he would say I, a lot of men lie about their height, but why would I lie about my height? Because then when I show up, it, you know, it's coming from a point of deception and the person's going to be disappointed. And I totally agree with that. It's like, lead with your strengths, but don't hide or lie about your weaknesses. Right. Uh, <laughs> who doesn't so, lie? Doesn't everybody? Yeah, I mean, I mean, you say like highlight the things about you that are mo most flattering, which is great. Of course, I'm the first person to say it's all about lighting and angles, people. It doesn't have to be accurate, but it's, you know, it's about looking your best. And but I mean, flattering. Are there a lot of people who are misrepresenting themselves completely? No, I mean, I don't I don't think so. I feel like if you look at where the Internet is now, there's a lot of what they call real ID. And so Facebook, it's all about your real name and your picture. Mm -hmm. And um, on Hinge, it's about who you are and what you look like and all of those things. And I think in general, why would you if you actually are on the app trying to find a relationship, then starting from a place of misinformation isn't a good strategy. And for people who have concerns about this, video dating is a great way to do it because you can actually just hop on a video date with someone and say, are they who they are? And you can figure that out a lot faster. And so I think that the world is sort of moving in this direction of having our real identities online compared to something like where you had a username or a screen name on AOL 20 years ago. But going back to the profiles, I can just give your listeners a few quick tips, which are um, you, the point of a profile is really, it's your opening line. It's putting yourself out there. It's saying, this is who I am. And so you really want pictures. I know it sounds obvious that show us what you look like. And so we don't want to see sunglasses. We don't want to see filters. We don't want to see you and your 20 friends who all look vaguely similar and we can't tell which one is you. And so we really need to see what your face looks like. Um, what you look like maybe with your friends or doing something that you love. And that gives us a sense of 
who you are. And your profile is basically telling us a story. And so the more specific you can be, the more variety you can give, the better. And the best Hinge profiles have this really good balance of humor and authenticity or earnestness. All I can add to that is that from my memory in my dating experience, the number one turn off for me was any main profile picture where a guy was wearing sunglasses and holding a dead fish. <laughs> what about like the I shirtless ones? I can't even tell you oh how many God. guys would put like fishing pictures as their number one profile pic. I was just going to say that I love that you brought that up specifically because it's become sort of an inside joke with anyone who works in online dating, these, these fish pictures. And it's not that that person's not being genuine. They really love fishing and they love that picture. But when something is so common as to become a cliche, it stops communicating information. <laughs> and so the person looking at it says another guy with a fish picture and they don't engage. What you want to do is you want to stand out. And so you want to have you know, a picture of you, maybe even a video. You can have a short video of you juggling and all the balls drop. And it shows me that you're actually self-deprecating and you like learning new skills and you don't have to be the best at everything. And so if you really want to stand out among the different people, avoiding those cliches is going to help you do that. No fish pictures. I'm just making a note of that. No fish pictures, <laughs> shirt on. Yes. If there was something a little bit, like, not off in the picture, but something a little weird or wacky, it was a great way to open a conversation. So if there was something kind of interesting happening in the pic, then people had a line to start other than, hey, how's it going? You're, that's, you're nailing it. That's exactly it. And so that's why I call your profile your opening line, because people say to me, what's a good opening line? And what they mean is, what should I send the person? Hey, how are you? Hey, how was your weekend? No, the opening line is really on your profile. You're, you're basically saying, this is what I'm about. And you're telling the person what to ask you and what to respond to. And so if you say, I know the best pizza, then the person can respond to you and say, oh, take me on a tour. What is it? Or let's see if we agree. And suddenly you're having this conversation. You're not just talking about what you did the last weekend, which to be honest, during the pandemic is what you've done the last 60 weekends. <laughs> Don't remind me. <laughs> right. No kidding. Uh, Logan, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It sounds like uh, things are going to be busier than ever over at Hinge once the whoring 20s begin. And um, I also wanted to ask, uh, your book is called How Not to Die Alone. It's available now everywhere? Yes, it is. Yeah. Amazing. So if anyone's interested in that framework, the three dating tendencies, they can take the quiz on my website, loganyuri.com, or they can follow me on Instagram or Twitter at loganyuri. And I should also mention that Hinge is Canada's fastest growing dating app. And if you are looking for a relationship and you want to get into something now or when the pandemic's over, that's a great place to Amazing. start your journey. Amazing. Thank you so much. This episode is over, but the conversation doesn't have to be. Follow Hillary and Sandra on social. Instagram at Hillary on Air at SandraKiss1053. Twitter at Hillary Welch at SandraKiss1053. And on Facebook at Quick and Dirty Podcast. Got a question? Email Hillary and Sandra, the quick and the dirty at gmail.com. Don't forget, you can download the podcast each week to your mobile device to listen offline. Find the quick and the dirty on FrequencyPodcastNetwork.com, iTunes, or wherever you download your podcasts.